In one of the world's most memorable speeches, the US President John F. Kennedy said this. Many years ago, the great British explorer George Mallory, who was to die on Mount Everest, was asked why did he want to climb it. He said because it is there. Here's the thing about this speech, though. George Mallory, the climber JFK was referring to, well, he was wrong. See, Everest isn't an irresistibly alluring goal simply because it's there. There's something else about summiting Everest that makes it so irresistible to millions of people. As of January 2023, Everest has been summited by 6,098 climbers. For context, if you add up everyone who has climbed the other nine highest mountains in the world, you won't even get close to the number that have summited Everest. Lots of people want to climb this deadly mountain. Google searches for how to climb Mount Everest are eight times higher than Google searches on how to climb K2, the second highest mountain. And the top of Everest has been visited by five times as many people as those who have hiked to the South Pole. Climbing Everest isn't an alluring goal simply because it is there. It's desirable because reaching the summit encapsulates the three core elements of an irresistible goal. Understand these three elements and you will better understand how to motivate yourself and become an expert on motivating others. All of that coming up, but first, here's another podcast I'd recommend. The podcast I'd like to recommend today is the D2C pod brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. The D2C pod is a podcast all about all the things direct-to-consumer. The hosts cover everything from starting, growing and optimizing e-commerce stores and D2C brands. If you're interested in the stories behind your favorite consumer brands, this is a podcast for you. To start, I'd suggest checking out episode 318, which features the CMO of Feastables. So listen to D2C Pod wherever you get your podcasts. In today's show, we're going to cover the science of motivation. We'll break apart what makes a goal motivating, how to motivate others, and why so many people want to climb Mount Everest. My guest today is Ayelet Fishback, one of the world's leading experts on motivation, and her book, Get It Done was one of the best-selling behavioural science books of 2022. Here she is introducing herself. Uh, well, I'm Ayelet Fishbeck. I'm a motivation scientist. I'm also a faculty member at the University of Chicago Booth School of Business, where I study behavioural science and marketing. And finally, I'm the author of Get It Done, Surprising Lessons from the Science of Motivation. When it comes to motivation, Ayelet has one golden rule. It's the first point she makes in her book, and it's the first lesson she shares on her course. When coming up with a goal, don't focus on the means, focus on the outcome. So let's go back to the Everest example to explain. When you come up with a goal to climb Mount Everest, if that's what you want to do, don't focus on flying to Nepal, landing in Lukla, getting to base camp or climbing to the Hillary Step. Those are all means by which you'll achieve your outcome. Instead, you should focus on the final goal, focus on the outcome, which is summiting Mount Everest. Here's a bit more information on why you should focus on the goal and not the means. Yeah, definitely focus on the goal and not on the means. Uh, the, the means are often uh, 
uninspiring, can be even daunting. They, they seem like a chore. Uh, the goal is, is the reason that you are doing uh, uh, something. Uh, just to give you an example for like, how basic this principle is, a few years ago, I ran a study with Franklin Shaddy. Uh, he was a graduate student here and now a faculty member at UCLA, uh, where we auctioned a book to our MBA students. Uh, it was uh, Misbehaving by Richard Taylor. I'm sure you've heard of it. And some people were bidding on the book. Some other people were bidding on a tote bag that contained the book. Uh, what we found is that the average bid on the tote bag that contained the book was $11 less than on the book itself. So, so think about it. You're getting more. You're getting the book and the bag but you're willing to pay less than if you're just getting the book. How come? Well, people don't like to invest in means. People don't like to invest in, in wrapping, in packing, in shipping. People don't like to pay for parking. And, you know, in, you know, at everyday examples, we, we don't want to invest in means. We, we want to invest in, in the goals that we will achieve when we uh, pursue these means. This study that Ayelet and Franlin ran is it's a really great study. The MBA students, who of course should know better, they bid $11 more to receive the book on its own compared to bids for both the book and the tote bag. So this means people bid more for just the book when they could save money by getting the book and the tote bag. Ayelet's sort of hypothesis here is that the means which in this case is the bag, clouds the decision-making process and demotivates people. Ayelet says that when you're setting goals, you should always highlight the benefits of the goals rather than the costs. You know, the benefit in this case being getting the book rather than the cost, which is having to hold on to this tote bag, which you don't want. Ayelet says that it's better to set your goal as finding a job rather than applying for a job, or as owning a house rather than saving for a down payment. Finding a job and owning a house, they are desirable outcomes. Filling out applications and saving money for a down payment, they are the costly means that are needed to achieve your outcomes. Achieving the goal is exciting. Completing the means is a chore. Now, this is one of the reasons why climbing Everest is such a powerful goal. It's not a means to achieve something else. It is an outcome in itself. Another reason why climbing Everest is such a motivating goal is because it's fairly abstract. The goal doesn't clearly dictate how you'll climb Everest, it just states that you want to climb Everest. According to Ayelet, when you make a goal abstract, our brains are wired to find the more motivating. Here's why. So there are a few reasons why abstract goals work better than concrete goals. And, and you know, when I ask people, to tell me about a goal that they are pursuing. Often I'm getting something really concrete and, and, and really specific and really just about today, like my goal today is to uh, uh, run uh, three miles or to uh, uh, to work on a specific uh, project uh, uh, at work. And, and so people tend to like, use the, the concept of goal to, to think about something that is very, very specific and very concrete. But what we find is that when they think about it more abstractly, more in terms of why than the how, uh, this is uh, uh, more motivating. And there are uh, uh, a few reasons, as I mentioned. Uh, one is that uh, just being in an abstract mindset allows you to 
think about where you want to be to have better uh, self-control. I'm being reminded of the, the work of uh, Ken Fujita and uh, Yaakov Chope and Neil Lieberman, who found that just when you use high-level construal, when you think about things more abstractly, when you ask yourself why questions, you have better self-control. Okay, you, you are more motivated. You you know what are your, your priorities in life. It's often hard to identify these priorities when you're too busy with the how as opposed to the why. Ayelet referenced a study by psychologist Kentaro Fujita. In the study, he puts participants into an abstract or concrete mindset by having them answer a series of questions. You might be thinking, well, how on earth do you put someone into an abstract mindset? And that is a good question. Well, to put them in this abstract mindset, he had participant answer what he called why questions. The other half answered what he called how questions, which put them in a concrete mindset. So some are thinking abstractly and others are thinking concretely. Some are asked, why do you do this? And some are asked, how do you do this? After answering such questions, the research participants were asked to think about their own goals. Naturally, they'd view their goals more abstractly or more concretely, depending on the series of questions they had just answered. Here's the finding. Those who answered a series of abstract why questions were then more motivated to channel resources into their goals. They worked harder for their goals. For example, they exercised more physical effort when holding a hand grip. The takeaway? Abstract goals appear to be more motivating. And here's Ayelet with another reason why. Another reason is that when you think about goals abstractly, and this is something that we are just starting to get into it, they fit better with each other. So in terms of your goal systems, which is the different goals that you have in your life, they tend to match better when you think about them in a more high level uh, uh, fashion. And, and let me explain uh, this with an example. Uh, let's take uh, a career and, and family or, or career and, and leisure. Okay, Often when you think about this very specifically, they seem to, to conflict with each other. They seem to pull you in different directions. But when you think about them in a more abstract level, okay, what do I want to achieve in terms of my career? What kind of leisure activities I want to pursue? How I want to interact with my family? then everything seems much more fitting together, okay? There is much more coherence. Okay? Of course, I need to work and be successful that I can I support my family, that I can go on these like amazing vacations that I'm planning. So my leisure time is going to be uh, wonderful. Everything seems to be a better fit when you are abstracting a bit, when you, you're thinking more uh, high level. Imagine you have a goal of finding a new job. You could describe this goal as explore 10 career opportunities or as read 10 job postings and submit 10 applications. These are two different descriptions of the same goal. Reading job postings is a concrete description that explains how you will explore career opportunities. And exploring career opportunities, the, the other goal I mentioned, is an abstract description that explains why you read the job postings in the first place. Now, while they describe the same goal, one description is far more motivating than the other. According to Ayelet, the concrete description makes us feel like the goal is a chore and it demotivates us, whereas the abstract description emphasizes the meaning behind those actions and it better motivates us. So where possible, you should try and set abstract goals. 
but there's another tip in here. You see, I said explore 10 career opportunities. It's an abstract goal with a specific number. And that is a good thing. Adding a number to your abstract goal will actually make it more motivating. Here's why. Yes. So we talked about keeping goals abstract and then you correctly identified that one problem is it might be hard to put the number on it. It might be hard to know uh, how soon and how much. Uh, But goals that are too abstract, it's it's hard to put the the number on them and numbers tend to be motivating. That is uh, when I think about how much I want to do, uh, this number becomes a, a motivator. A very trivial example is that 10,000 steps, and it's very trivial because I think that every person on the planet at this point try to walk 10,000 steps a day. And it's not that it's the best goal to have, but it's just a really popular and sticky uh, goal. And when you try to do that, you probably recall yourself like late at night walking the last 10 steps or 100 steps like in, in your bedroom basically just like trying to get the, the steps i once caught my uh, now 11 year old he was 10 back then uh, waving his hand in in the air uh, late uh, in the evening trying to to get the, the, the last few steps uh, uh, so that he can meet his, his step goal okay uh, you, you are really motivated to to reach this goal there is a a wonderful study that looked at uh, marathon running times in the US and found that there are many more people that finish the marathon just under four hours than a couple of minutes after four hours. Now, it, it, it's not easier to finish a marathon in three hours and 58 minutes than four hours and two minutes, but no one wants to go home and say, I finished the marathon in four hours and two minutes. So a specific number within your goal can make it more motivating. That's why there are so many more marathon runners who finish at three hours and 59 minutes than those who finish at four hours and one minute. The daily 10,000 step goal, by the way, wasn't popularized by a doctor or fitness coach. It's actually from an ad. In the 1960s, Japan was preparing for the 1964 Olympics. In the run-up for the Games, the nation was gripped by a desire to exercise, inspired by their chance to host the Games. So, an entrepreneur capitalised on this, inventing a pedometer, which he called Manpoki, to piggyback off the excitement. The ads for the pedometer happily exclaimed, let's walk 10,000 steps a day. The name Manpoki translates to 10,000 step meter. But here's the thing, there is no way people would have wanted a pedometer without the alluring goal of walking 10,000 steps. Without that goal... The product is useless, yet having a specific number to hit as a goal is very motivating and it means people wanted that product. And this goal, this specific number goal, was so popular, is so popular, that it has stuck with us for over 60 years. I'm still trying to walk 10,000 steps today. Frequent flyer loyalty programs benefit from the same thing. One study cited in Get It Done examined how people behave when they've nearly earned elite status in a frequent flyer program. It found that people took more and more flights with the airline as they got closer to gaining the airline's top status. Yet, once they hit that target, once they reached the program's tier one ranking, their frequency of flights slowed down. Just like marathon runners, the specific number, the goal to hit, motivated the customers, but then once they had hit it, they were far less motivated. 
However, there are some caveats. Specific numbers in your goals can backfire, especially if the number is too ambitious. If the number is too ambitious, we might give up on the goal. Okay? And uh, uh, we see that uh, with people that are trying to lose weight, uh, for example, that set a calorie uh, uh, target for the day and if they feel that they cannot quite meet that specific standard that specific number they just say what the heck this day is worn and just give up on unhealthy eating so this is my long way of saying numbers are highly highly motivating anything that is below reaching that number will seem like a loss and we know that people want to avoid these losses they want to meet the numbers but numbers should be taken and set with, with some like careful thinking. We don't want the number to lead people to pursue the goal in the wrong way or ourselves. And we uh, certainly don't want people to give up on, on a worthy goal just because the, the target number was inappropriate. The study Ayelet mentioned is by Kosuki Yutaki and Nathan Yang. They found that dieters whose ultimate goal was to lose weight often focus on meeting an ambitious daily calorie target. So say I only want to eat 1,900 calories today and I don't want to eat any more than that. Now meeting or missing this target shouldn't affect how dieters eat, right? Just because you've missed your target for one day, say you've eaten 2,000 calories rather than 1,900, that obviously doesn't mean you should give up. You're still going in the right direction. But the researchers found that wasn't the case. Those who had missed their daily target, sometimes just by a few calories, so say eating 1,905 calories, five more than you planned, well, those people were far more likely to get discouraged and give up on the goal completely. This has been termed as the what-the-hell effect. After missing your target by just a few calories, you end up thinking, what the hell, and just keep eating so you end up missing it by an awful lot more than you would have done. In the study, dieters who missed their target by a little lost significantly less weight by those who met their daily goal by a similar number, say eating 1,895 calories versus 1,900 and five calories. A 10 calorie difference had a big difference in people's ultimate weight in the research. If your goal is slightly too ambitious, it can backfire. So quick summary, make sure your goal focuses on the outcome, not the means. Where possible, try to make your goal abstract and not too descriptive, but also try to add a specific yet achievable number. However, this is just the start. In a bit, we'll share five more lessons to keep you and your team motivated. All of that after this quick 60-second break. Finding a service solution that helps you better connect with customers and keep them happy can feel impossible. It's like trying to remember the name of someone you've just met at a networking event. I've made this mistake before, introducing a colleague to my new friend Dan, only to find out his name was actually Ian. 
Being personal with your customers is important, but keeping on top of all that information can be very hard. That's where HubSpot's all-new Service Hub comes in. It brings service and success together on one powerful platform for the first time ever. It's got an AI-powered help desk and an AI-powered chatbot that handles frontline tickets fast. Plus, it comes with a customer success workspace that helps reps anticipate customer needs. Plus, it never forgets a first name. All of that can help you scale support and drive retention and revenue. That means better service and happier customers at every stage of the journey. Visit hubspot.com service to do more for your customers today. Okay, back to the show. Now, at this stage, you might be scratching your head a little. We've mentioned how goals should be abstract, yet also contain specific numbers. It seems like a little bit of a contradiction. So I asked Ayelet about it, and she shared a useful clarification. Well, goals need to connect to means. Okay? If the goal is uh, some uh, no, abstract idea, like I, I want to be successful, okay? I want to be promoted, I want to have a family, and it's not connected to a specific means, then it's hard to see how the person is going to pursue this goal. When we encourage people to think about their goal system, basically what we want them to do is, is think about the main goals that you have and the activities that help you achieve uh, these goals. And there is a bit of an exercise of like, why do I do it and how do I do it? And uh, going more in the direction of the why, okay, like why do I work on this project? Well, because my boss will be happy. Why do I need my boss to be happy? Well, because that will lead to a promotion. Why do I need a promotion and so on? But then also the how, okay, well, how am I being successful? How do I get my uh, promotion? Uh, how do I get uh, my bosses to be satisfied with my uh, job? And and so on, and, and really get to an understanding of what is your system in terms of goals and means. So my takeaway from this is to just keep your goals actionable. Yes, they should be abstract to some extent, but they still need to be achievable. There is, of course, a study which backs this up. In the study, cafeteria items were labelled with different colours. So green for healthy items, yellow for less healthy items, and red for really unhealthy items like chocolate and donuts. Now, after these labels were introduced, consumption of the red unhealthy items like donuts actually declined. When they had that red sticker on them, people were less likely to eat them. And when the healthy items like bananas and apples had the green stickers on them, people were more likely to eat them. So red sticker made people less likely to eat, green sticker made people more likely to eat. And the basic finding behind this is that people in general want to eat healthier. That's a goal that most of us have. But we struggle to do this goal because the goal is very vague. We don't often know whether something is healthy or unhealthy, and we, we sort of struggle to, to make that decision when we're in the cafeteria. But clearly seeing a green label helps us out. It makes our goal of healthy eating more actionable. It helps us pick the salad rather than the spaghetti bolognese, for example. So people ate better when they could take clear action. And you won't be surprised to hear this. Some of the world's most popular goals are clear, actionable goals. Goals that you probably try to follow. You know, brush your teeth twice a day. Wash your hands after going to the toilet. Walk 10,000 steps a day. These are actionable goals with specific numbers. And it's no wonder billions of us across the globe follow them. This got me thinking, however. 
If I'm halfway through achieving my 10,000 step goal, so 5,000 steps into my daily target, should I look back and celebrate how much I've achieved or should I look forward and focus my attention on what is left to do? What's more motivating for me in that scenario, looking back or looking forward? I think a lot of managers ask themselves this question every month. Should I highlight what my team have achieved so far or should I get them to focus on what's left to achieve the rest of the goal? What is more motivating? I asked Ayelet what she thought. What we find is that for people that are just starting on something, that are unsure about their commitment, it is better to look back at what you have achieved. Okay, It's better to say, I've already taken these baby steps. I've already uh, uh, no, uh, done part of the, the project at, at work. Uh, I've already studied uh, uh, part of the materials for, for an upcoming exam. For goals with a specific endpoint up to the, the midpoint, the 50%, it's better to look back and say, I've accomplished 20% and looking ahead and say, I still have 80% to go. Okay. Once you are committed, once you feel secure, experienced, maybe an expert in what you're doing, and for these goals that have a specific endpoint, once you pass the 50% mark, then it's better to monitor progress in terms of how much is left. Okay. Then it's better to say I have 20% to go than I have accomplished uh, 80%. So just to reiterate, for those starting out on a goal, unsure about their commitment, they should look back on what they've achieved. If you're not sure you're going to finish a marathon, don't think, oh God, I've got 30 kilometers to go. Think, well, I've just done 12 kilometers and I'm feeling pretty good. That's a lot that I've done so far. But those of you who are committed to your goal and you've made it to the 50% mark, to the halfway point, then you should look forward at how much is left. A manager will motivate her sales team more when saying you're just 10% away from hitting your target rather than saying you've hit the 90% mark. So if you're not sure about commitment, look back. And if you are sure and you're past the halfway mark, look forward. Ayelet and Minjin Koo have done a great study on this. They asked half the employees at an advertising agency to reflect on what they've achieved at work, and they asked the other half of employees to reflect on what they would like to achieve at work. So some look back on their past achievements, some look forward on what they want their future achievements to be. Those who were prompted to consider their past achievements felt prouder at work and were more likely to stay in their job than those who look forward at what they wanted to achieve. Looking back on what you've accomplished is seriously motivating and can really help people who are wavering about their commitment. And, and what we found, and this is a research mainly with uh, Ming Jang Koo uh, in Seoul, in South Korea, is that whether it's like students or uh, uh, in marketing campaigns uh, or employees, when we give feedback on what has been accomplished, that helps some people, but other people would benefit from feedback on uh, on how much they still uh, need to do. And I'm being reminded of a, you know, a, a, a large uh, a charity campaign that we ran where we found that people that never gave money to the, to the organization, they were more motivated when we told them that other people were giving some money. Okay, So they were looking at the progress that have been made and that motivated them. But people that were already committed, that were already there, 
the experts on in, in this that were fully on board that we need to help this organization they were uh, more likely to give when we highlighted the money that was still missing as opposed to how much money we've already collected just to reiterate in this study ku and fishback found that new donors gave more when they saw how much had already been raised seeing the message To this point, we have successfully raised $4,920 through various channels, raised more than saying, we need to raise another $5,080. There's one more wonderful example of this, and I think it's my favourite study from the Get It Done book, and it's about bagels. During a typical lunchtime queue outside the Einstein Bro Bagels shop in Chicago, Fishback and Koo surveyed customers. They found that when customers were prompted to see how far they were in the queue, to look back at who's behind them and to think about how long they've been waiting for, it increased how excited they were about the bagel and how long they were willing to continue to wait for a bagel in the queue. When we look back on our goals, we get more committed. It's classic sunk costs in action. And this got me thinking about incentives. Should we set more incentives to help people get to the halfway mark? Should sales managers offer half the bonus once salesmen and women get to the halfway stage? Would that be more motivating than, say, giving an incentive to get to the end? Well, I asked Ayelet, and she doesn't think so. One of the the big questions in studying incentives is how many and when is it too many? And as it turns out, incentives can change the meaning of why we do what we do. And when we refer to incentives and and, and talk about too many incentives, when we say that like the, the incentive actually backfires, this is often because we gave too many uh, incentives. So we kind of confuse the person for we confuse the person about that. Like, what's the reason that they do something in the first place? Okay, they are, they are no longer uh, sure. And so, you know, like the classic studies on overjustification found that when we give young children prizes for for drawing, they are not sure anymore why they were drawing, and so they conclude after the incentive is removed that there is no reason to continue drawing. So, so think about it. The initial incentive was well, it's fun to do, it's colorful, it's creative. We added a, an incentive in terms of some prize. Okay, they, they in the study from the seventies, they they got some uh, certificate and, and a red ribbon. Okay, now we remove that and we have a confused child. Okay. <laughs> Much more recently, uh, uh, Mikhail Maimaran and I found that when you tell children that food is healthy, this is like children between the ages three to five, when you tell them that food that they like, that they would eat because they enjoy it, is healthy, it's good for them, uh, it will make them smarter or, or stronger, they don't want to eat that food anymore. Okay, And so what's going on here now we confuse the the child again about why am i eating these crackers Uh, is it because i like it or because it's uh, something that will make me uh, uh, count to 100 which uh, was one of the the manipulations that uh, that we tried Uh, and and you see a decrease in, in consumption Basically, when incentives confuse us about why we do what we do, we know that there are too many incentives. Too many incentives make children less likely to draw and less likely to eat healthy food. 
too many incentives confuse us. It overwhelms us. I think this links back nicely to the Everest example. With Everest, there is one obvious incentive, summiting the highest point on Earth. It's actionable to those with the funds, and it's obviously focused on the outcome, not the means. Sure, there's no specific number with the goal, but most people can attach some specificity, saying, I want to summit in May next year. But there's one more reason why Everest is such an alluring goal. And paradoxically, it's because climbers are not certain if they'll actually be able to reach the top. It's not a guaranteed incentive. There is an obvious element of uncertainty there that makes the goal more alluring. Yes. So let me tell you about a study with uh, Lucy Shen, uh, now uh, in the Chinese University of Hong Kong, and and Chris Shi here at the University of Chicago, uh, where we we wanted to see how hard people are willing to walk when something is uncertain versus certain. And the task that we developed was a task where you just had to drink a lot of water. Okay, now it wasn't dangerously a lot of water. So like, don't, don't try it at home because you might drink too much. Okay, and it's dangerous. But we had the, the safe amount of water and we uh, uh, challenged people to uh, drink it uh, quickly, saying in one condition, that is to half of our people, that if you do this, we're going to, to give you a, no, $2. Okay, we told the uh, other half that we are going to give you one or two and you have 50% chance of winning one prize or the other. And what we found is that people were more willing to do the task and more people actually did the task uh, when the the prize was uh, uncertain and it was unclear whether they're going to get one or uh, $2. Another example, uh, we ran a study in which we uh, uh, had people bidding on either a bag that had two or four chocolate truffles, or another group of people was bidding on a, a, a bag that had four uh, chocolate truffles. What we found is that people were willing to, to pay more for the bag that had two or four compared with the bag that had four. Uncertain incentives often work better. Okay, uncertain incentives are those incentives that you may get if you know, everything goes right, okay, if you are lucky. And what we consistently find is that people might not like the uncertain incentives, but they will work harder. Okay? They will be more motivated when there is uh, some uncertainty where it's unclear whether I will, will be incentivized or not. Deciding to climb Everest doesn't guarantee that you'll get to the top. Only 42% of people who attempt to summit Everest every year actually get to the top. Depending on what statue you use, 1-3% to 3% of people who try to summit Everest will die on Everest. You'd think this uncertainty would make the goal less motivating, but it doesn't. An uncertain reward is even more alluring. Maybe this makes sense. Maybe this is why gambling and stock markets are so profitable and alluring. There's an uncertain reward. But for goals, it's even more powerful. So let's round this up. If you're trying to motivate yourself or to motivate others, here are some tips you should keep in mind. Number one, focus on the outcomes, not the means. Your goal should be to read a book a month, not to read for 10 minutes every day. Number two, your goal should be a little bit abstract. 
a New Year's resolution to learn a new skill is a little more motivating than saying I want to study Spanish for one week. Making your goal a little abstract makes it more motivating. But point number three, your abstract goal should still contain some concrete numbers. Like 10,000 steps a day is more motivating than, than a goal to say go for a walk. Now there's more. Point number four is that if you're starting out on a goal, but you're uncertain about if you'll actually achieve your goal, you should look back on what you've accomplished. However, if you're nearing the end of your goal and you are committed, but you need a boost to speed up your work, for example, you should then look at how little there is to go. Look forward to what's remaining. Final two points we made were that too many incentives can demotivate us and overwhelm our teams. And finally, Make some of your incentives uncertain. Offering a surprise $1 or $2 reward for downing a pint of water is more motivating than offering a certain $2 reward. That's the science behind motivation. Follow those rules and you'll stick to your goals and you'll motivate others. And if you're about to head to Nepal to hike Everest, don't be surprised when you hear dozens of your mates state that they've had the exact same goal for several years. Okay, folks, thank you so much for listening today. I really hope you enjoyed this one. It was a little on the heavy side, but my interview with Ayelet was so packed with insights that I really wanted to share as much as possible. If you're keen on better understanding the science of motivation, then I do urge you to go check out Ayelet's book, Get It Done. It is one of the best books I've read on motivation. It's up there with Dan Pink's Drive, but it's got perhaps a little bit more specific advice that's handy for individuals who are setting their own goals or managers who are trying to motivate others. I'm actually going to have Ayelet back on the show in a few weeks. On that show, we'll talk about how you can stop procrastinating, a topic that I need serious help with. So to make sure you don't miss that show and you really don't want to, then please go and sign up for my newsletter. Head to nudgepodcast.com and click newsletter in the menu to sign up. If you do, you'll get first access to that episode, plus you'll get a nudge tip in your inbox every single week. Recent tips have covered the science behind getting a raise, the psychology behind pricing, and the science behind effective copywriting as well. So if you want tips like that in your inbox every week, go and subscribe to my newsletter. If you want to get in touch with me, then please reach out on LinkedIn. I'm Phil Agnew on there. Plus, I'm on Twitter too. Just search for P underscore Agnew. That's P underscore A-G-N-E-W to find me on there. Thank you so much for listening, folks. If you could drop me a quick review wherever you're listening, that would make my day. And big thank you to those of you who already have left a review. That means an awful lot. Cheers and see you next week for another episode of Nudge.